Now, in 1 Corinthians 9, we're about to see some hardcore Christianity. Are you okay with that? Is anybody going to be offended by this? Anybody going to be offended by somebody who is actually doing what they say they're doing? We like that, right? Are you, are, are you, I mean, if you just want to be, if you just want to get by and you just want to, uh, just want a ticket to heaven, okay. But I'm going to tell you, you were created for more. You're able to do more. You were designed for something bigger. You're a high performance design. And God created you in his image, in his likeness, for good works, which he prepared for you beforehand in Christ Jesus. So he's got some things laid out for you that are bigger than you thought. And they're going to take some diligence. That's not a word you hear as much anymore, but diligence is a good word. Diligence means I'm going to have to apply myself. Now, there's a difference between being diligent and striving in the flesh. Someone who strives in the flesh is just trying their hardest, they're working their hardest, and they're running in quicksand. Nothing's getting done. Everything that God's called you to do must come from a place of rest, resting in Him, resting in His Word, resting in His promises. You're not supposed to get this done all by yourself. And when you start striving in the flesh, just, just thinking, well, I've got to put in an extra hour. If I put in an extra hour, I'll have one, a little bit more power. Maybe that's your rhyme that you say to yourself. But I'm going to tell you something. You need to do what God tells you to do. And God doesn't work the same way we do. So sometimes He tells you, go to sleep. Sometimes He tells you, take a walk. And sometimes you feel, and I've known pastors that feel the more time they put in that office, the more they're qualified to do their job. But God didn't call me to that office. God called me to be a pastor, to preach, to minister, to love, to pray, and fellowship with Him. And I'm called first and foremost as a believer. And that doesn't, that's not determined by how much time I spent behind a desk. And so that's striving in the flesh to say, if I put another hour on the timesheet, God will be proud of me. You need to do what he tells you to do. We remember that Paul preached in every city on this one missionary journey he did. He preached in every city, and it says every city they were encouraged, and people were being added to their number, and miracles were happening. It was awesome. But he gets to Asia Minor, and, and it says the Spirit of Jesus forbade him. It, it, he, he was forbidden by the Spirit of Jesus to preach. He wasn't allowed to preach. Now, now, if we're striving in the flesh and trying to do this on our own, we would say, the more places I preach, the more God's able to do. But you know what Paul knew? I do what God tells me to do. If he tells me not to preach her, I won't preach her. If he tells me to take a nap, I'll take a nap. I do what he tells me to do. And I don't feel like I need to preach one more sermon so God can get a little bit more done. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. The Holy Spirit said, don't preach her, so he didn't. Do you know what he did? You know where God talked to him? The next place that we see God really talking to him was while he's asleep. He goes and he says, I guess I'm not supposed to preach there. And he goes and he lies down. We don't know how much time passed between then, but he goes and he, he goes to sleep and somebody shows up in his dream from Macedonia and says, come over to Macedonia and help us. God spoke to him in a dream and brought him to Macedonia. And if he had gone and tried to get more done for Jesus... In his own strength, he wouldn't have been in the right place to get that dream. And he wouldn't have been able to get to Macedonia when he did. You have got to realize that it's not about like the rest of the world. The rest of the world says the more hours you put in, the more you'll get done. 
That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. The more you're surrendered to Him, the more you'll get done. The more you're willing to listen to His voice, the more you'll get done. The more you're able to trust Him and have faith in Him, the more you'll get done. It is not determined by the hours you put in. It's, put, it's determined by your obedience to God and your trust in Him. So don't treat this like you treat your job. Because does it make sense, guys? Does it make sense to you that by giving God 10% right off the top, that the rest of the 90% goes further than the 100% would have? That's what tithing is. We give 10%, and yet God blesses the 90% so much that it's nothing close to what we would have done with the 100%. Does it make sense in the Old Testament that God told the Israelites to let the land rest every seven years and not to do anything to it? They say, I mean, I imagine they thought we'd starve. We'll starve. We need. We can't just go a year without eating, without, without a harvest. But because God told them to do it, they did. And they were blessed beyond what they ever would have had they worked that extra year. You've got to learn it's not, this does not work like the world works. This is a spiritual thing. God rested on the seventh day. You need to have a day of rest as well. And you need to stay not only in a day of rest, but there needs to be a, a spirit of rest where you just know I'm resting in Him and I am laboring, but I'm laboring from rest. I'm not laboring, laboring to strive harder, to try harder, to get something done. That's how the world works. But 1 Corinthians 9 says this. I'm going to show you how, how hardcore you can be, how intense you can be for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9 starts out with the Apostle Paul explaining why he didn't ask them for any money. And he says that somebody who's in full-time ministry is supposed to get their money from ministry. He says that's what you're... This, he, he quotes Jesus of all people and says even Jesus told us that's where we get our living. And yet he tells them when I came to you I didn't do that. And there's a reason for it. So that you'd know I wasn't there for the money. And you needed to know that. It was obviously something they were struggling with. And he said, here's the other reason. He said, and, and I encourage you to read this all yourself. Um, verses 1 through 14 are, are excellent. But he says in verse 15, but I use none of these things. Am I not, and I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. You see, the Apostle Paul was confronted by Jesus, and Jesus said, you've got to preach. So the Apostle Paul's like, there's not an option for me to do anything else. He says, I'm under compulsion. I've got to preach. If I don't preach, I don't know what's going to happen. He says, for if I do this, he says, for woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He goes, I don't even want to think about what happens if I stop preaching. But he says, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. Do you hear that? He says, if I do this voluntarily, I've got a reward. I want a reward, don't you? Yes. So if I do what God told me voluntarily, I get a reward from it. But he says, if against my will, I have a stewardship. In other words, if it's against my will, I've still got to do it, but it's like a job. And I'm just expected to do it. He says, the only way I get a reward is if I do it voluntarily. And, I, and he, says, I, he says, the thing I can boast in is when I came to you guys, I did it for free. And he says this, what then is my reward? And 
could be better worded or better translated. Where do, like, what am I being rewarded for? That's probably the best way to translate this. So what am I being rewarded for? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right of the gospel. He says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave. Do you hear that? He says, I'm free. Jesus set me free. I don't have to do anything for you. But because I'm free, even though I'm free, I made myself a slave to you. In fact, not just to you, but to all. So that I may win more. See, he wants something. He's, he's after something bigger than just a ticket to heaven. He wants a reward. He apparently knows that it's a good reward, and he wants it. Now, don't get me wrong. I've heard people say this, and they said, well, you know, and they try to sound a little bit holier. They go, well, I don't think we should do what we do for rewards. I think we should do what we do because we love the Lord. Absolutely, because you love the Lord. Absolutely, that should be your driving force. But you've got to explain to me how, many, how so many times in the New Testament he says, I do this so I get a reward in the Bible. Apparently, it's supposed to be a motivation. It's not your main motivation, but it's supposed to be a motivation. Not the reward of men, but the reward of heaven. Even Jesus said that. So, you know, don't try to be holier than Jesus. That always ends badly. The Pharisees tried it and didn't go well. Do your best not to try to be holier than Jesus. You think you're holier than Jesus, you're going the opposite way. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, verse 20, To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. So, in other words, if he feels okay with eating bacon, he likes bacon, he likes a good pork chop. I'm not saying that Paul did, but if he did, when he's around Jewish people, he doesn't eat those things. If they dress a certain way, even though that's not his style, he'll dress like they dress so that he can win them. You see, it's not all about self-expression. Now, I believe that God is the great creator. And because he's the creator, he put creative things in you. So I don't believe that the best way to honor the creator who created the trees and the mountains and rainbows, even double rainbows, I don't believe that that God, the best way to honor him is by all of us dressing as boring as possible. I don't think that's necessarily true. I married a good wife who's, who's got some style that it took me a while to wrap my head around. She likes some certain colors and things and combinations together, and I love it. I love it because I see the creativity in her that God put in her. But there's a certain time, if God called me to go preach to Amish people, do you know what I'm going to wear? Black and white. Why? Because my goal is not to show them how much I can be self-expressive. My goal is to give them, show them Jesus. And I want them to, if they're going to trip over something, I want them to trip over Jesus, not over me. So... That's, that's, what I'm, that's what's important. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those that are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I may win those under the law. One more point about self-expression. Do you know Jesus said, and I quote this almost every service, I don't do anything unless he tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. 
Jesus' best form of expression was not self-expression because he said, I didn't come to do my will, I came to do his will. Jesus considered his expression to best be expressed as what God wanted to say instead of what I wanted to say. And they became the same thing. He wanted what God wanted. But he said, I didn't come, to, I didn't come for self-expression. I came, my best expression is letting God express himself through me. So sometimes we put such value on self-expression. What we need to do is say, God, who do you want me to be? And of course, if we're reading, <laughs> if we're reading 1 Peter, we find out that the grace of God is multicolored, multi-shaped. It fits all sizes. It looks different in every person. So you will be unique. Don't worry. God made you unique. But don't say, I just got to express myself. Because you're not Madonna. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you've got to say, who do you want me to be? And that's the best version of you that could ever be. So here's what he says. Verse 21, to those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are out without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all means, do you know what all means means? That means like every way I can, every, every method I can think of, every chance I get, by all means, that means I will use every opportunity, I will use every tool, I will use every resource I can, by all means, I might save some. He said, I'll do anything. For one more person to know the love of God. I'll do anything for one more person to, to realize the salvation of Jesus Christ. I'll do, one, I'll do anything for one more person to come to repentance. He says this in verse 23. I do all things. Now this is a sobering scripture. Because all things does not leave anything out. I do all things. For the sake of the gospel. That might mean you have to leave some things out of your life. That might mean that you, you don't get to be everything you thought you would be. You'll get to be more in him than you ever dreamed. But it's going to be what he tells you. And there might be some things you thought as a kid that you were going to be or you're going to do that you got to lay down because that's not what he picked. But I'm going to tell you, and I mean this, and I've said this over and over, but I'll say it again. He loves you. He loves you more than you love yourself. So when he has a plan for you, it's not worse than your own plan. It's not harder than your plan. It's better. His life for you is better. It's better than you planned. It's better than you dreamed. It's better because he loves you greatly. But it may not, you've got to, I mean, there will be a period of time where if you're still warring with your dream of who you should be and God's dream for you, it won't be fun. If you're called to preach and you want to be something else, it's not going to be fun. And you're, you're not going to enjoy it. But if you'll say, like Paul said, I do this voluntarily. If you'll just jump in with both feet, suddenly you you'd start to like it a lot. If you're fighting it and you're letting the flesh fight with the spirit, it's going to be torment. And every day you're going to feel divided. But if you just get on the same page and go, okay, what you want for me is what I want for me, then it's going to be fun. It's going to be good. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. And that hardness is not the same hardness that you experience in the world. 
it's, it's something where you're, you are constantly aware that He's with you, He's strengthening you, and He's rescuing you. Paul told Timothy, he says, suffer hardship as a good soldier. Another way to say that is endure hardship. Endure. Don't give up. Just because things got hard doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Keep going. Praise God. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. In other words, I'm going to get some of the reward of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I get my reward. Look what he says. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? That's, that's deep, isn't it? <laughs> he just said everyone that runs in a race runs. Whoa, man. That's not that deep. He says, don't you know that everybody runs in a race? But he says, but only one receives the prize. You don't get a prize just for running. Not in the big, not in the big boy sports. Not when you grow up and you wear your big pants. That doesn't happen anymore. You're not seeing people in the Olympics going, oh, we all get gold medals. Isn't that nice? You know, in the first Olympic Games, there was a silver and there was a bronze. There was no gold. Third place, you didn't get anything. We're even nicer than they were then. In 1900 in France, when the Olympics were in Paris, they gave away paintings instead of medals. Isn't that interesting? Some of you think that's a good thing. Some of you are like, what a ripoff. <laughs> because they said that art is much better than medals. Worth much more than gold. They might have been honest to something. But the point is, you know, not everybody just gets a medal just because they showed up. And everybody at the Oscars that says it was an honor just to be nominated you notice they're forcing that smile? They want to win. He says, everybody runs, not everybody wins. He says, run in such a way that you may win. So what, what defines whether you win or not? Based on that sentence. How you run. Apparently, how you run is the big thing. Run in such a way that you may win. It does not say run so that you win. It says run in such a way that you may win. Winning is, dis, is, is, is determined by how you ran. If you ran to win, you're going to win. If you ran just because you have to run, just because there's no other choice, if you ran just because everyone else is running, that's not enough. Run that you may win. He says this, everyone who competes in the game, so this is the original Olympics. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Self-control. It's 2012. Somebody said self-control. It's a good word. Or a couple words put together. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? It's just, it's in the same paragraph in Galatians as love and joy and peace and patience. Now, we know that love is above all those things, but it shows up in some of the same places as all those nice little fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Do you know what self-control means? I'm going I'm to get real deep for you. Self-control means you control yourself. You're not out of control. Aren't you glad that you have somebody that went and took the time to study the Greek on that? <laughs> this is education right here. Self-control means self-control. 
You don't let yourself do everything. Apparently, yourself would love to do some things that you don't let yourself do. Don't you see the athletes do this? At least they're supposed to do this. The ones that win, they might have a craving for a cheeseburger every night, but they don't eat a cheeseburger every night. Do you notice there were no swimmers in the opening ceremonies? They all said, we got a race in the morning. Rest is more important than showing up at the opening ceremonies. Apparently, they had to give some things up to get where they are. They had to decide that something was more important than another thing. That that gold medal is more important than that, that, just that extra pizza. That gold medal is more important than me taking a vacation to Hawaii. That that gold medal is worth more than that extra hour of sleep I would have got in the morning if I didn't go to training. That they decided some things were more important. You've got to make that decision in your life. Now, if I'm talking to believers this morning, you know that we're all going to get to stand before God. And if you're a believer and you're trusting in Jesus, you're standing before Him clean. He's not going to get on to you about your sin because He paid for it. But we're not all going to get the same prize. And you've got to decide how much that's worth to you. Is it worth, like Jared was saying, is it worth going to a different league that's maybe not as competitive? so that you can be at church? Is it worth getting up in the morning to spend time with him instead of that extra hour of sleep? Is it worth maybe not going to the university or school that your friends are going to because God told you to go to that one? Is it worth taking the job he told you to take? Is it worth all of those decisions that you make asking him what he thinks instead of what everyone else thinks? Is it worth sometimes not being the most popular? Is it worth that to you? Because you've got to know. His plan, His ways, and His rewards are beyond your imagination. Jesus said, and it says it more than once, that the rewards in heaven are often also rewards on earth. He talked about those that gave up families and homes to follow Him. He said, you'll receive much more. In fact, he said, even a hundred times more. In this age, and in the age to come, eternal life. So he's saying, you get rewards here and you get rewards there. God's not leaving you uncompensated. But look what he says. He says, they exercise self-control in all things. In every area of your life, that sake of the gospel pops up. He says, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath. Why do we do it? Do we do it because the pastor made us do it? Do we do it so that our Christian friends are impressed with us? Do we do it because our mom and dad want us to do it? Why do we do it? According to this verse, we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. One that we get to keep. And one, like the song we sang this morning, that at some point we're going to lay down that crown before Jesus at his feet. It says this in verse 26, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I run in such a way as not without aim. I'm not just wasting my life. And can I tell you, this is why it's so important that you guys, as believers, know the will of God for your life, and you're not one of those believers that walks around thinking whatever happens was supposed to happen. You've got to know the will of God in your life so that you can go the way you're supposed to go. I'm telling you, that's what's going to set you apart from a lot of other people is that you're knowing that you can know the will of God in your life. 
that you can be filled with the knowledge of his will, that you don't just walk around waiting for life to happen to you, but you make things happen through faith and through the Spirit of God. You walk where he told you to walk, not blindly, not stumbling around, not like an orphan who has no father, no leader, but you are somebody who's got the Holy Spirit and can know the will of God, can discern what's good and what's bad, where you should go and where you shouldn't go, which door is good, which door should be shut. Because he says, I don't run without aim. You should not be living life just waiting for stuff to happen. you got to be living life with aim. Can we think about what that means? Can we talk about aiming our life? Aiming your life means that you find out where you're supposed to go and you run that direction. We say, okay, that's what I'm doing. All right. You know, Paul said to Timothy something that, that once again may not be taught a lot. But he says, in every house, there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. He says, the one who desires to be useful, he makes himself useful as a vessel of honor. He talks about how you live your life, how you, how you order your life, what you allow in your life, and he says, make yourself useful. You want to be a vessel of honor? Act like a vessel of honor. You want to be used by God? Make yourself useful. Do you know what useful means? You're able to be used. Able to be used. Make yourself useful. Boy, we're getting some deep definitions, right? <laughs> you guys are all waiting for like, you know, in the Greek it says, in, in English it says yes, but in the Greek it means no. But, you know, most of the time, if you talk to Spiro and Tina, I remember talking to Spiro in his kitchen in Meduvi in Greece, and he said, you know, most of the time, it says the same thing in the Greek. <laughs> You know, that's true. <laughs> that's a great revelation to you. But here's what he says. I run as not without aim. When your eyes are open, see, God came and opened your eyes, and you live in the light as he's in the light. You should know where you're going. Friends, if you don't know where you're going, and I'm not talking about heaven or hell. I'm talking about tomorrow, what you're supposed to do. I'm talking about what job you're supposed to be in. I'm talking about what your family's supposed to look like. If you don't have a vision of that, you need to get a vision of that. And if you say, I just can't hear God, you need to make room for God. You need to shut off some voices in your life, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off the iPhone, put it on airplane mode. In fact, turn it off altogether so you're not listening to anything. Listen to God. And if you're not hearing anything, can I tell you, here's what the, here's what the good old boys back in the New Testament did. Every now and then they fasted and prayed means go without food. <laughs> but I can't go without food. Just for a little while. They went without food and they just dedicated themselves. You know why? Because it shows the flesh. You're not the boss. I'm the boss. You've got to do what I say. But I want pie. You're not going to get pie. <laughs> but I want pizza. You're not going to get pizza. Oh, give me a vitamin. You're not going to get vitamin. You're just, gonna, you're just going to, to, to be quiet for a while because I need to talk with God. And the first couple days, we've, so those of you that have been there, the first couple days, your body's like, I hate you. I never want to see you again. You're a terrible person. But you know the third day, fourth day, you start kicking into it. And you start, your, your body finally just settles down like a kid who's just tired himself out after a tantrum. 
and realizes, I'm not going to win this fight. I'm going to shut up. And it's at those times you hear very clearly from God. It's not the only way you can hear from God. God, I mean, you should be hearing from God all the time. But there are times in your life where you really need some direction. And that's not a bad idea. He says, I don't run without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I want to connect with some meat every time I hit. I want to thud. I might want to hit some, get some spit flying back at me. I want, I want to know I'm not just beating the air. Hey, guys, take good, take cheer here. The Bible's got boxing references. <laughs> you thought this was a girl book? It's not. It's not male or female. Everybody gets something out of this. He says, I don't box in such a way as I'm just beating the air. You know what's going to happen if you just beat the air? Not only are you not accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish, you're going to be tired. You're going to be tired because you're just trying. You know what? Somebody who's boxing the air, they're punching as much as everybody else. They're trying just as hard as everybody else, aren't they? I know a lot of people that fit into this category. They're working just as hard as you or me. They may be working harder. But because they're not willing to open their eyes to see what God wants them to do, they're just hitting the air. You're wearing yourself out. You can work hard and still not be working right. This is what we're talking about, rest and, and knowing that God's will for your life. Just working harder is not what God's asking you to do. So if you're just hitting the air, you may be working hard, you may be boxing hard, but you're still just wearing yourself out, and that opponent is at some point going to step in and knock you out. So what you've got to do is you've got to see what God sees. He says, but I discipline my body. The original Greek word here, means discipline. No, it does. It comes from a word that means almost to, to make black and blue, to bruise. That's training hard. This is not masochism where you're just beating yourself so you can feel pain, so I can feel alive. That's not what you're doing. But I train so hard that I come out black and blue. I, I train hard. Have you ever, you know that first couple days you work out when you get back into it? See, I've been out of it since, since we had a baby, and I'm feeling it. I, I gained some sympathy pregnancy weight, and, and, um, and so my wife doesn't feel bad. Now, she's, she's <laughs> pretty much lost it all now, but I kept it, you know, just, just I don't know why I did. But, you know, <laughs> when you've got a, when you got a baby that wakes up and, and needs something, it, the motivation to go half a block to the gym is, is not as strong as it used to be, but no excuses. But you know when you first get back into it and you hurt? I, I remember I, I, before I got married, <laughs> I wanted to be so buff, you know? <laughs> I'm being honest with you guys. I was going to go to Hawaii on my honeymoon with my wife, and I wanted, to, I wanted to, to say, you know what, honey, look, look, these are for you. This, these biceps are for you. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I, you know, I wanted to discipline myself. I wanted to train. And I told her it so that I lived longer. But the truth was, I wanted to look good. Now, that can go too far. Real easy. But anyways. So I went with Dave Freeman. Dave was a good trainer. Dave pushed me hard. And I remember trying to, get, trying to answer the phone and having to, like, bend my head down to the phone because <laughs> I couldn't move my arm. <laughs> 
And that feeling is terrible, man. It's just, ah. And so he's describing the kind of training where you, you're out bruised, you know. Like I, I, I slap myself into shape so that I may, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Do all things for the sake of the gospel. I run to win. I box to hit something. Come on, guys. This is not just a ticket to heaven. There's more than that. Thank God for heaven. Thank God for eternal life. Thank God for the grace of God, which overwhelmed our weaknesses, where Jesus on the cross through His blood took our sin, bore it on Him, so that we never have to pay for that. There is nothing greater than that. That's the greatest miracle the world will ever see is salvation. The resurrection that occurred in you when you became born again. But can I tell you, this doesn't just start when the rapture happens or you die. It starts now. There's so much more that God has for you now. Do you feel like you're just running, but you're not running for a purpose? Do you feel like you're boxing, but you're not hitting anything? God's got more for you. Do you feel like you're just a participant, but you... Realize that God created you to win. You've got to stop comparing yourself to other Christians. I love other Christians, and you should too. Don't compare yourself to other people. God didn't call you to be other people. He calls you to be like Jesus. If you're going to make one comparison, make it to Jesus. Compare yourself with Jesus. Not in a bad way, like, I'll never be as good as Jesus. But say, that's my goal. That's my mark. I want to look like him. I want to act like him. I want to walk like him. I want my life to reflect him. And you know what? If Jesus, the smartest man, the strongest man, the most loving man, well, I don't know about strongest, but he was pretty strong. I'm sure he was. The most loving man that the world's ever known. If he said, I don't do my own way, I don't do my own thing, I do what he tells me to do, then what would ever give us the right to do anything else? You've got to live this life. We, we look at those athletes. There are things they give up for something greater. And about a year ago, we talked about the heavy and the light. Brother Tracy brought that up when he was here. Some things need to be heavier to you. You've got to realize what weighs more, what's worth more. And the Apostle Paul said, these light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. So if that glory that awaits us is heavy to you, if that's what is worth most to you, if His pleasure is what delights you, for those of you that are listening to the, uh, on the internet or on your iPhone or whatever, I'm going to repeat what we said a little bit earlier in the service before we started recording. But for the rest of you, I, wanna, I want you to hear it again. What that great missionary to China, Eric Little, said. When he ran, and, and like we said, he... Didn't want to run on a Sunday because that was the Lord's Day. When the very Prince of England comes to ask him, he still won't do it. He doesn't care about disappointing a nation. He doesn't care about disappointing his family. All he cares about is pleasing the Lord. And he runs in a race he wasn't trained for and wins that race and doesn't run in the race he trained for because the heats were on the wrong day. Because he wants to honor the Lord. And as that American massage therapist gave him piece of paper that says those that honor I will honor we remember what he said and this this quote has run through my whole life because it makes me realize that um, everything everything in our life 
qualifies for God to fill it. Everything in our life is meant to be for Him, not just the spiritual stuff, not just the stuff we do at church. Everything is spiritual. Life is spiritual. He says, when I run, I feel His pleasure. When I run, I feel His pleasure. Is there anybody else that you'd rather please? Is there anybody else that's worth more than that? That is the biggest thing in life. Can I tell you, being an ordinary, normal Christian is not enough to win. God's looking for people that are not necessarily more talented than everybody else. Because He can use untalented people. He likes to use those kind of people because He can show off. Say, You know, they couldn't do anything before. Watch what they do now. He doesn't need the most educated. He doesn't need the best singers. He doesn't need the best musicians. He just wants somebody that says, I'm here. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be available. And I'm going to be teachable. Yeah. He'll use all those people. Right. Can you be faithful? Yes. Can you be available? Yes. Can I be teachable? Yes. And will I be willing to discipline myself and exercise some self-control that I may win? You know, the Bible says bodily it says bodily discipline is only so good, only goes so far. But then it says, you know, Paul said to Timothy, he said that, he said, we discipline ourselves for godliness. In fact, I, I, right before we close, I want to read this to you. Can we do that? Because I think you'll get a lot more out of it if you see it for yourself. Turn to 1 Timothy, and then we'll close. I love this, I love this letter because um, the Apostle Paul is speaking directly to a guy who's decided to follow Jesus and given his life for the gospel, and he's speaking to Timothy like a father would to a son. He says in verse 6 of chapter 4, Chapter 4, verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you've been following. So all this starts with nourishing yourself. You know, an athlete needs to eat right, doesn't he? How do you eat? How does this man nourish himself? The word. Words of the faith and sound doctrine. Where are you going to find that? You're going to find that in the word of God, aren't you? He says, which you've been following, verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. <laughs> That's a little bit of a joke that he's making here. But he's saying, don't have anything to do with those, you know, those extra little, and, and guys, it's easy to get off. It's easy to get on YouTube and find all these little fringe theories about the Bible. To get so caught up in one little niche of Christianity that you're missing the big point. Listen, if all you know about if you know more about the rapture than anything else, you're missing something. Because the rapture is one event in your life. But you need to do, know what to do tomorrow and the day after that. Everything between now and the rapture. So you need to know the whole word of God, not just one little area. He says, and don't have anything to do with those worldly fables. Don't, don't live in fantasy land. <laughs> don't live in space camp. Be grounded in something. Just because we're spiritual doesn't mean we're flaky. <laughs> Brother Mark Barkley prophesied over me in Rocky Mountain House last year, and he said, 
He said this. He said, and he prophesied, he said some great things. And he said, and don't get into any of those weird doctrines. <laughs> he says, don't hang out with weird people. And he left it at that. <laughs> don't get sidetracked with these little, little side issues. Be grounded in the word of God and sound doctrine. He says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is not the same word for discipline that we learned, we learned in 1 Corinthians 9. This is a different word, which is actually the word that we get the word gymnasium from. And can I, if I can gross you out, this is a word in, in the Greek language they used it to, to mean to train naked. You don't have to train naked. But it meant to train in the gym. Discipline yourself. Now, he's not telling you to go to the gym and work out. This is spiritual discipline. So like you train in the gym with your body, do that with your spirit. Train in... Train and discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Godliness is the goal. Being more like Him. He says, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. That means you're working out, that only does you a little bit of good. But godliness is profitable for all things. Do you mean that godliness is going to help me on the oil patch? Absolutely. Do you mean that godliness is going to help me to be the best father I can be? Yes, it will. Do you mean that godliness can help you be a good wife? Yes, it can. Do you mean that godliness can help me in business? Absolutely. Godliness is a profit in every area of your life. It says this, for all things, since it holds promise, now read this with me, for the present life and also for the life to come. Do you see that? It holds promise. Promise of what? Promise of reward, promise of life, promise of profit here. For this life and the one to come. You need to know that fully following after God, self-control, discipline, training, is going to help you in this life and the next one. He says this. We'll close with this thought. With these next few thoughts, rather. <laughs> I don't want to get your hopes up. He says... It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Can I translate that to you in simple English? This is true. You can trust it. And you all should fully believe this. And nobody should be sitting in their chair right now going, well, that's good for them, but not for me. He says it's a trustworthy acceptment statement deserving full acceptance. Everyone should accept this as true. That disciplining myself and for the purpose of godliness is going to help me in this life and the one to come. And he says this, For it is for this we labor and strive. It's for this we labor and strive. Does that sound like it might be some work sometime? Yeah, but it's not in the flesh. Working in the flesh gets you nowhere. That's boxing in the air. Working by the Spirit, by the grace of God, is going to get you somewhere. He says, for it is by this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, now this is, he's talking to Pastor Timothy here, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And that's for everybody. Don't neglect what God puts in you. 
It says, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, through the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. It sounds like you're supposed to, you know, pay attention and put some effort into it. He says, be diligent. It says, take pains. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Now, if I'm absorbed in something, that's my life. I'm obsessed. God says, be obsessed with the things I put in you. And he says this, and we'll close. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere. That means don't give up. Keep going in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Praise the Lord. All right. So here's what we're getting at. Here at this church, we're part of a bigger church. Do you know that? We're part of the church of God in Lloydminster. We're part of the God's church, the church of Jesus in Canada. We're part of the church, uh, His body, His people, His bride. In the whole world, we're part of that body. But I'm not talking to the whole body right now. I'm talking to you. And here's what I have to say to you. Get serious about this. Get serious about it and get happy about it all at once. Can we do that? Let's stop messing around. The things that God called us to are way bigger, way greater, and way more rewarding than everything else you thought was important. And when the Lord said to us at the beginning of the year, it's time, I took that seriously. I took that to mean we can't do what we've been doing for the last 20 years. If God says it's time, it means something's got to change. Something's got to be different. You guys are doing well. I want to tell you, I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of this congregation. I'm very proud of the people I've seen and what God's doing in your life, but I'm not satisfied. There's so much more that God's got for you. You have got to press in. Can we press in? Can we discipline ourselves? Can we say there are some things more important than this? There are some things more important than that and, and this other thing. And there's some things more important than this one event that we've got to say what he's called us to is the most important thing. He is the center of it all.